I notice I have these tears coming out down my face because I had eye surgery two days ago, and it's not, I'm not crying about anything. I just want you to know. My eyes are just leaking. <laughs> um, it's good to see some faces I haven't seen in a while. <laughs> and I, I was smiling at somebody I thought the last time I was here, last time I talked, last Wednesday, and I thought it was someone, and it turned out it was not the person I thought it was, and I think I freaked the person out because I kept smiling at her. <laughs> Found out it wasn't wasn't who I, it was a totally new person who was here for the first time, so I have to be careful. Um, I wanted to ask how many of you were at uh, Bante Utadamo's uh, workshop, uh, the one-day retreat that we had? Todd and me, anybody else? Oh, it, it's good. I, I, his whole retreat on the recorded? Did we record that whole retreat? Oh, okay. It's worth listening to. But uh, he said something that I, I really I really keep thinking about. And uh, when he asked the question, n- nobody got the right answer. And it was all Blue Lotus people. So I felt kind of, what have we not been teaching people? But he said, uh, we, we all know that the cent- uh, essential teachings of the Buddha are the Four Noble Truths. And that, that's kind of like the foundation. And everything else comes from that. And so his question was, and what do we do with the Four Noble Truths? So I'll ask, you can't answer, Todd, because you know the answer. <laughs> what, your, um, what, what do you do with the Four Noble Truths? So I'm going to ask you guys. What? Well, it leads to that, right? So, th- but that's not the that's not the answer he's looking for. It's before that even. But it, the four noble truths, the fourth step is basically uh, the eight eightfold path, right? So, it, so that's that's kind of where our whole everything comes from. But what is the first thing we have to do with the four noble truths? Um, who said that? That's the answer. <laughs> it's to it's to understand those, and and I think sometimes we forget that the understanding. It's not like we just have to learn them or memorize them, or it's to really understand the four truths that there uh, that suffering exists. And I don't know how many of you here fit into this category, but there are people who don't want to think that suffering exists. There are a lot of people, and I've heard people say, I don't have any suffering in my life. You know, life is good. Everything's great. But the the Buddha said these are truths that we need to, if if we're going to be students of his, these are truths that we need to understand. So we have to grapple with them. So that there is suffering. He doesn't say there, there isn't happiness or there isn't joy, but he says suffering exists. And there's a cause for suffering. And there is a, there is a cure for suffering. There's a path leading out of suffering. And then it's the, the path is, there, is the eightfold path. 
But until we can understand what the Buddha was saying about there is suffering, if we don't, if we don't come to terms with that for ourselves, we don't understand it, it's kind of, it's a big block because everything comes from that. The, the reasons we suffer and what the causes of our suffering are and how we can, how we can quit suffering altogether. And the difference between pain and suffering. And, uh, what do we do with the Eightfold Path? You know, what is that, how is that helping us? So, understanding, and, and for that workshop, we had about eight people, about eight different answers, and finally somebody said, understand it, and that was it. So thank you for getting it so quickly. So, um, it, and we, when I was thinking, because I thought, well, we're fa- failures as teachers because we didn't teach, but we often say understanding the four no's, but I think we, we kind of, we don't, we don't think like that all the time. But there, you know, we can't go out and start saying, well, I'm going to start suffering so I can understand these. We, we have to understand it with our own experience. We have to understand it from what the life we've already lived and, and see, and see the things that happen to us, to people in our families, to our friends, the things we're experiencing, uh, in the world today. And we have to recognize you know, which, what if, what if that is actually what we would call suffering or dissatisfaction? You know, now everybody wants to, uh, it's better to just say dukkha. So dukkha is the Pali word and it's, it's anguish. So what, it depends on the translator you listen to. It's either translated as suffering or anguish or dissatisfaction or irritation. Or um, what are some of the other ones? There are a couple of other. Discontent. And there's one kind of modern one. Distress is one, but what? Um, stress, just stress. That's the modern one I was trying to think of. So just saying, you know, I'm under a lot of stress. Well, that would be considered that dissatisfaction. That's, that's what dukkha is. It's everything. It's all of that things are not exactly right feeling from very minor to very uh, profound and deep. But it's in all of our lives. And the Buddha's teaching, that's the reason he went on the search he went on and spent six years. He never could find the, he never could find the, the, uh, the solution for it for such a long time. And he mastered all the teachers of his day, he mastered their teachings, and they'd all ask him to stick around and be a teacher with them, or take over when they when they died. And and he he had to keep going. He had to keep looking because he hadn't found the answers to what is this feeling of dissatisfaction? What is this suffering? What what causes this like unhappiness that we this kind of constant not not thinking everything's right. So it took him six years, and uh, he finally just had to sit down and say, I have to do it myself. And then his teachings all developed from that finding, and he was able to formulate the Four Noble Truths. The interesting thing is, too, that always is amazing to me, 
that every Buddha that comes has these same revelations. And so there are, what, 28 Buddhas that have come, and there's one more in this kalpa. Is it a kalpa that we're, we have to finish? Uh, one more, there'll be one more Buddha, Maitreya, who comes, who comes next. But all, they always come when all these teachings have been lost in the world. So they basically all have this, they kind of rediscover these essential truths and set that wheel in motion again. And I'm, I'm always curious about how there are different teachers and different time periods and different civilizations. And so how do they, uh, how do they all manifest these basically the same teachings? It could look really different. It, it's interesting. It's not something I contemplate a lot, but I think to think about that is, is, uh, you know, these are, these are important truths that keep that can help us kind of get on with it, move, get on and move through our lives with a lot more, with happiness and joy and peace. And, uh, you know, we have a, we have a specific way then we know of dealing with suffering. So what causes suffering? What's the second noble truth? Craving, right. It's not desire, because we have to have desire just to survive. You know, we have to have the desire to get up every day. And we have to have desire to, uh, to populate the world and to get a, go to school and get a job. And, and we have desire to, uh, to, to, to build buildings. So it's not the, it's not our desire that is the cause of our suffering. And a lot of people think that. So if they think if you're going to follow the Buddha's teachings, you have to get rid of all, all desire, all feeling, all anything that feels powerful or good. And that's not the case. But what we have to let, what we have to do is let go of the attachment to it, the craving for it. So very quickly think of things that you really like. Think of how easy it is to develop a craving for it. Chocolate being one of those. <laughs> I forgot to eat today because I got sidetracked by by a print my printer not working. So I was going to eat something before I came and I didn't. So I was like, "Does anybody have any?" F-? Usually somebody has food in the office, you know. Todd used to always have nuts. <laughs> He's not in the office all the time, so there's no nuts in there, and. Uh, and Bhante Amita said, I, "We've got chocolate." And I said, "Oh, you don't. It, you, I don't need. I, I want to eat chocolate. Maybe something else a little." And he said, "No, we've got chocolate just next door." So I said, "Okay." So I had chocolate for my dinner, for my food, and you know, I, I can just taste that chocolate. And you know, you, you it's there. There's that craving for it. It's a. It's that wonderful taste, and it was a truffle. So the texture was that perfect texture. And so I had two pieces and I was fine with it. Now, if I, if, so that's, that's, a, that's good. There wasn't a bowl full of them for me to keep going for. But if there had been more, I'm sure I would have figured out a way to get another one of them. But we, we know those things that we're really drawn to. So it wasn't healthy, but it probably just gave me some calories to keep, keep marching through the, 
through the evening. But but the, but just that taste, you know, you can just you can be around that thing that you crave, and you just start getting all kinds of sensual delights from it. And sometimes it's something that's bad, that's not even uh, pleasant, but we begin to crave it. It might be, and Matt and I were talking about this. Sometimes we begin to crave maybe something that's not happy or pleasant, but it might be a memory we're hanging on to. And we feel like, um, this is a really sad memory, but I should, I'm not supposed to let go of it because I'm supposed to hang on to that sadness. Like, who would I be if I let it go? Or if I was to actually let go of some unhappy, unhappy memory, who would I be? Wouldn't I be kind of, uh, uh, what kind of person would I be if I let that go? Like that's almost my obligation to hang on to it. Or we hang on to it because it becomes part of us. Or what we're hanging on to we think needs to be part of us because it, we're honoring someone else or we're, uh, we, we, the world needs to know that we haven't. It might be like not forgiving someone we might hang on to a really bad memory because we we don't think that person a person deserves to be forgiven so it's bet we'd rather hang on to the pain of something someone did to us than let it go you know and of course we know it's not hurting that person at all but it can become our identity because it's something we're still craving it because it feeds something in us Maybe we think we have to become that person that uh, if you have someone who died in a car crash, you may need to be angry at the person who was driving the other car uh, because it, it somehow gives you, uh, it gives you meaning in your life or it's something, it's a way to keep, to keep some kind of feeling going when it might be time to let go, you know, move forward in your own life. So the things we crave aren't necessarily the things that taste the best, like chocolate. It could be something that actually causes us pain, and we can't, we don't want to let it go. So that's the second. So that it's that craving and that holding on to something, and it's often described as, uh, you know, that feeling of letting go. It's like ha- having an open fist. Like letting, letting that, letting it just literally letting something go. And so that gesture becomes, that openness is a really important gesture to make. And you think about cultures, like showing that you don't have weapons is, is a way you greet other people. And so I think sometimes that stuff that we're hanging on to can almost be like a weapon too. So when you think about something that you either love so much that you can't let go of it, like the chocolate, or a person, or a job, or money, or, uh, you know, a million and one things. Um, Or it's something that you can't let go of it because it's, it's come to identify something for you symbolically that might be painful, but you can't let it go because you feel like you have an obligation not to let it go. Um, just you can think of that that feeling of how good it feels when you let go of something that you've been holding on to really tightly and just 
you know, you feel, ah, everything kind of smooths out. So what's the the third noble truth? Yes. So there's the cause, there's the, there's the problem, there is suffering, there's the, the cause of it, which is craving, and then the cessation of it. There is, there, and there can be the cessation of suffering. And so it's letting go of that, letting go of those cravings. But it's, and it's also realizing that we don't, we don't have to have that suffering. The suffering is more the attitude we take towards a situation. It's not the situation itself. So the suffering is what we add to a situation, or we add to, um, we could add it to the food we crave. So if I can't live without having a bag of truffles, you know, in the, in my house at all times, then, uh, then I'm, I'm cre- I'm really creating more suffering because I'm, I'm putting it kind of, putting it right in my face. But if we, if we, it's the emotional attachment that we give to something that, that creates the suffering. It creates the craving. And anybody who's, who's in a recovery program or ever has been, you want, we understand that because we've kind of acknowledged that there's that craving. There is that, that that's some, but that's something we can learn to let go of too. It's never, it's not easy, but it, it we know it can be done. And so it's the cessation of the suffering. It doesn't mean pain goes away. It doesn't mean we're on easy street. But it means when we have things happen to us, we can have a different reaction. We can have a different way of behaving towards that something that would have been a trigger. Or we can recognize the, the, we can recognize the teachings of the Buddha. Those things are caused by not seeing the reality of the of the world of nature right in front of us that all things are what are the three all things are what all things that are here in this world impermanent everything is impermanent and that there is suffering that's one of the other truths and what's the other one non-self like this, there's no, we're changing all the time, just like everything else is. There's nothing in this world for us to hold on to, not even ourselves. I mean, you, there's a lot of dead skin between you and, and, uh, yesterday you, right? There's just a, <laughs> there's just a trail of death, right? <laughs> and in the winter, sometimes you can see that, you know, if you take off your socks, you can even see that. <laughs> So we're we're never the same. <clears throat> Everything's changing. So we're and our thoughts change. Our mind changes, um, and hopefully, hopefully it's for the better. I mean, hopefully we're learning and becoming wiser. But you know, things change. Our minds can slow down on us or go on the blink. So, but we're changing all the time, and everything else is changing all the time. So. Even, even if we wanted to identify just with our, this me, I'm, I'm me, I'm the, I'm something, we have to let go of that because even that is, it's hard to identify what that is. It doesn't mean we don't exist in this body, in this lifetime, 
but it means there's nothing we can like point to and kind of capture. It's just like a, you know, get a photograph of yourself from 10 years ago. And usually it's depressing, right? Because you're so much younger and, uh, you know, the thing, the thing that most people see as you get older, you look at a young person who's anybody 20 years younger, you know, you look at a young person and they're going, Oh, I've got wrinkles. I'm getting so old. And, and all I can think of when I see somebody who's young is, you're young because you're beautiful because you're young. You don't have to even do anything. Just being young is beautiful. And we waste all of our youth. We waste so much of our youth by being unhappy with, you know, something about ourselves, right? So all that's so fleeting. All of that is just clicking over all the time. So nothing, nothing is permanent. You know, all of that changes. We lose everything. We lose everyone we love. Uh, we lose, we lose everything that we identify with. We lose all those things that we crave. So everything is shifting all the time. So the cessation of suffering is, is, is always keeping all of that in mind. So things are always changing. Every, anything that we're holding on to, that we're craving, is, is impermanent. So there's no, no matter how tight we hold it or how hard we're, we hang on, we can't keep it. It will change. Like even that chocolate. There's some days when chocolate doesn't taste good. Or there's, or there, some years that chocolate might not taste good. So everything that we're so attached to will change. The person or the job will not stay as exciting or wonderful as it once was. Um, we'll have, we'll have lots of money and success, but we may lose someone that we love very much and we realize that that stuff that we have doesn't protect us from loss. And so, um, if we, if we keep working with the teachings of the Buddha, we understand that more and more and it becomes easier to loosen that grip on things. And it doesn't mean we love things less or that we enjoy things less. It just lets us realize that we can, we can have all that beautiful stuff. We can have all that beauty and all those qualities in our life, but we don't have to be uh, gripping so hard to, to any of them and be willing to accept our losses when they happen, grieve, and then move on. But uh, it's, it's like a lesson we have to teach ourselves over and over again. It's not easy. We don't learn it once and for all. But the thing we can do is understand those noble truths and understand those things that are impermanent. And then, and then when things are difficult and hard for us, we have that understanding to fall back on. It doesn't make the loss uh, any easier for us at first, I don't think. But it, it gives us direction to, to move into when we're able to, to work through the loss and then we have we have a our way out of the grief is has been we we know what it is so there's always there's always hope no matter what and that hope is that we find our way back on the path
So then the fourth noble truth is you are, you are the path. Yeah. The, the path of recovery is the eightfold path. That's a, that's a perfect way to describe it. So our recover, and, and our recovery from this world of craving and hanging on to things and, uh, not, and delusion, because most of what we're doing is, uh, even the causes of craving, at the root of it, it's delusion. It's just our, it's just our ignorance that causes us to, to have that. We, we, we don't, we don't see and pay enough attention to the world to notice that this is going on for every, every living being. So, the Eightfold Path is something that we, we can learn, uh, how to live that path. And we always have, we're always on it. We're very complex, so we're always on a bunch of places on that path uh, at the same time. Because we're not, we're, we're not just simply, I do number one, then I do number two. We're working on all of it. And usually whether we know we are or not. So right, right, um, right wisdom includes right thoughts, right understanding, which, which basically means understanding the Four Noble Truths. <clears throat> and that path that the Buddha talks about, because that's his foundation for all of his other teachings. So that's where we start. And then right thinking. Sometimes we call it right intention, uh, or right motivation, or right thinking. And that is includes the, everything we do that we do with, with kindness, and we do with uh, renunciation, which means that letting go, we, we try to let go, and also that we do it with, without harming ourselves or anyone else. So that's, that can be the way we think about everything that we do in the course of the day. Is it, am I doing any harm to myself or anyone else? And is this kind? And is this, uh, am I letting go where I need to let go? That's called renunciation, but I think just letting go is a, is something we can relate to more easily. So that's the wisdom part of that Eightfold Path. And we'll stop there. We can get into the others later. But it's, I know I talk about these things a lot, and we start when we do the precepts talking a lot about it. But it's really, it's such a foundational part of, uh, understanding all the other teachings of the Buddha, it's good to revisit it all the time. And when we're when you're when you're having difficulties in your life, any kind of challenges, any kind of difficulties, it's good to first and first look and see what am I holding on to? Where am I clinging? What am I unwilling to let go of? And it could just be an attitude. It could just be a, a mental predisposition uh, that maybe you'd be happier if you could let it drop a little bit. Uh, so it can be something really simple, but the first way to look at it is to look at those, those four truths. So there are three parts on the wheel. It's wisdom, which is that thinking, and uh, then motivation or intentions. And then the others are our, our um, sila, or the way we, our um, ethical and moral 
actions, how we, how we treat ourselves and others. And then uh, the, the, air, the third area is talking about our practice, about our mental development. So we'll cover that another time. But thank you.